all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on NPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Glad to be with you here this morning. And, uh, man, we just can't get away with this rain. I was uh, talking with somebody the other day just talking about we're sort of in a monsoon pattern here in in Mississippi. So it looks like, uh, you know, just the last couple of years, uh, drier in the latter part of the summer and then just rainy all the rest of the time. I know a lot of people have been hard hit by that. A lot of our Delta farmers uh, certainly are struggling uh, with this uh, rain pattern, and uh, a little bit of rain's good, too much, not so good. We're going to be talking about your health questions this morning, though, and we would love for you to call in, and it can be anything. We're not uh, caging you into a, 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 a thematic uh, box today. We want to be uh, um, open to anything that you are having problems with. Maybe it's a new symptom that you're having that just came up and you want to get a little bit more information on. Uh, maybe it's a medication that you're taking. You don't quite understand the, uh, what it's used for. Or maybe there's some side effects associated with that. Or maybe you want to just learn about something that uh, you've got a diagnosis of. So all those things are uh, certainly applicable to what we'll try to, to tackle this morning. You're welcome to call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, some people are still, you know, a little bit curious about the emails and how those work. So we do look at those when we're not on the air. So it's not just Wednesdays that we'll address those as they come in. We try to respond to those one-on-one. We also try to, from time to time, if I'm not able to be here live, we try to address those uh, from the studio and record a program with just the emails because it's a lot of good topics, a lot of good questions. And we love sharing those with the rest of our audience because we always know if somebody has a question, multiple people probably have the same question just because of our listener audience. And that what that makes uh, Southern Remedy the great program that it is just because uh, of you sharing those kinds of things. Always a great thing. You know, uh, we teach a lot of uh, medical students and medical residents at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And one thing that I always tell them, if, you know, the patient is your best teacher, they're the best textbook and answering those questions or at least looking for the answers for those questions, it really drives you uh, to, uh, to really get that information out. It makes you a better uh, physician in, in when you have those kinds of opportunities to, uh, to dig deep uh, with your patients. So please call in. Uh, we usually get a lot of phone calls, uh, but we get them at different times. So I did want to point out, you know, if you uh, didn't quite get your question answered, it may be because we were up against the 
hour on the latter half of the program. Best time to call in is right now. That's right. So we've got open lines right now. So you can go ahead and get your question out there. It's always difficult. Somebody is like, I don't want to be the first person to call. Go ahead and call. I'm giving you permission this morning. We would love to talk to you today. one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You know, one of the things that I love about medicine is that it's so many different things that you can learn. When I was growing up in school, I just loved learning about all kinds of different things. In fact, I still have. I've been trying to to give this away because now we have the Internet. It's sort of superfluous to have something like this. But some of you may remember those old cards you could get, and it was a card of animals on it. I just love looking at those, like all kinds of different animals from all over the world. Got a couple of hundred of those cards. Tell you know it has a picture of them on the front, and it's got all this information on the back. That's one of the things that sort of translated to medicine to me is there's always something new that you can learn from it, um, and because of that, it can be quite overwhelming if you're a patient uh, to know everything about that. Certainly, that's why we have uh, experts, physicians, uh, where we have other healthcare professionals uh, who can help deliver that care and help get to the bottom of what's going on with you. But because there's so many different things, you know, we've sort of gotten into this pattern of having certain times of the year, whether it's a day or a week or a month, that are dedicated to different um, different things. So we can sort of spotlight those things. And February is uh, Heart Health Month, particularly in women. So you may have seen the American Heart Association's campaign, Go Red for Women. Uh, they have a great website that I'd love for you to go to. Uh, if you're not a woman, that's okay. Hey, go. You've probably got some women in your life, whether that's a mother or a sister, uh, a wife, a daughter. Uh, GoRedForWomen.org is all about heart disease, cardiovascular disease, and its, um, its effects on women. Now, uh, sort of jump the gun on this. I was going to ask this question. I'll go ahead and ask it. Just think about this. If, if I said, think about the people in your family and, and the word heart attack, and who comes to mind? Most of the time, it's your father, it's your grandfather, it's the males in your family. But interestingly enough, uh, our women are hit just as hard and are, are just as likely to be uh, affected by heart disease. About every 80 seconds... Um, a woman dies of cardiovascular disease. Now, that term cardiovascular also includes stroke. So it's heart attack and stroke are the two things that sort of encompass that. Every 80 seconds, um, about one in three women will be hit with that. And it's the number still the number one cause of death in women is cardiovascular disease. So certainly... It is something that hits women uh, very hard and you and a lot of times gets ignored as other things. So uh, it's it's a little bit difficult sometimes to pin things down on cardiovascular disease just by the symptoms. We'll talk more about that as we have time in between callers, but we want to get to our phone lines first because I uh, love it when people are calling in with uh, with different things. Let's go to Jill in Gulfport. Oh, one second. Sorry about that. I may have pushed the button prematurely there. I'm going to talk a couple of things about back to our heart symptoms. What are the symptoms of a heart attack? Um, un, now, a lot of these are, are traditional symptoms, which are ones that we certainly see in um, in men. And the traditional symptoms of a heart attack is a, a pressure sensation in your chest. A lot of people will say it feels like an elephant is sitting on them. And that pressure or pain travels up to the left side of their neck and down their left arm. 
It can be associated with a sweaty feeling. It can be associated with shortness of breath. Uh, you may have uh, some other symptoms that, that sort of mimic heartburn, uh, but really it's that uncomfortable pressure or squeezing or fullness or pain in the center of your chest. It can last for more than a few minutes. Uh, sometimes it can go away and come back. It can involve one or both arms. A lot of people are like, well, it's my right arm that's hurting, so surely that's not my heart. But it can also be the back, the jaw, uh, the stomach. All those things can be just because of the way the heart, the nerves to the heart are hooked up. Uh, we mentioned shortness of breath, uh, breaking out in that cold sweat or with even nausea or lightheadedness. Now, th- those are the common things. Sometimes women are more likely than men to experience some of the other common symptoms, particularly shortness of breath, nausea and vomiting, and back or jaw pain. If you have any of these symptoms, particularly if you have other, um, you know, other things that are going on in your life, like hypertension or diabetes, you need to call nine one one or you know, to, and get to the hospital right away. It's probably a good idea to go by ambulance if you're having these symptoms because they can go ahead and start the treatment process and go ahead and hook you up and uh, put in an IV as they need to so they can get the ball rolling. Uh, too many people have complications if they jump in the car and try to drive themselves. Uh, chances are an ambulance can get you there quicker and more safely. So those are just some common signs and symptoms of a heart attack. All right, uh, Kevin, remind me, we're going to... Bill in Greenwood. Bill in Greenwood. Okay, and I don't quite... Is that line two? Okay, here we go. Bill in Greenwood. Good morning, Bill. Uh, hi, doctor. Uh, I've been to the, my, my doctor uh, and gotten... Uh, well, he says I have high blood pressure, so we're trying to find a high blood pressure to work with me, but you see... Uh, Every one that he has given me so far, it, it just it, it's it's the worst thing for constipation. And like you know, uh, one time I didn't go to the bathroom for three weeks. Oh wow! And, and it, I, I was really getting scared and worried. And uh, uh, you know, finally, you know, I went. And it was all right, but he's giving me other uh, 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 you know high blood pressure pills. And all of them are constipating. I was just wondering if, if there's one that you could recommend that I can ask him about that would not be constipating. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't really give any side effects either, if that's possible. Right. And that's one of the good things about high blood pressure treatment, hypertension treatment, is there's more than one class of medication. So there's a ton of different things out there that you can be treated with. There may be some special reasons why a physician would choose one of those classes over the other. Uh, but in general, if you have problems with one class, you can always switch to another one. The other thing to keep in mind is it's probably for most people, it takes two medications to, at least to control the blood pressure. So a lot of people will say, well, I've tried five, but they were only tried one at a time and not together. And sometimes you can limit side effects by doing that as well. The two biggest offenders for constipation are calcium channel blockers, and uh, those are things like amlodipine or procardia um, or diltiazem. It's not used as much anymore uh, and for routine uh, hypertension treatment. And then the diuretics. Um, and there's different mechanisms of why they cause constipation. But there are other medications like ACE inhibitors and ARBs. Uh, those certainly don't have constipation as a major side effect. Um, 
and sometimes, and I've I've been tricked by this a couple of times, where I put my patient on multiple medications and they they had a side effect and it didn't really fit with that medication. There may be other things that started at the same time. So, Bill, I, I I might, you know, just throw that out there that maybe there might be something else that's causing that, like thyroid problems. There can be other problems that might cause constipation that might not even be related to the blood pressure medication, and it might just have happened about the same time. But outside yeah. those outside those two classes, other things, beta blockers would be another one to try. Uh, all those classes, typically the ACE inhibitors, ARBs, and beta blockers, they don't really cause a lot of constipation. Okay. Well, you know, uh, normally, uh, uh, like now, I'm not on anything right now. He he hasn't recommended anything else new. So, uh, like I said, I'm never constipated. I never have taken uh, pills except when I was a child. And, you know, I, I, I'm regular every day. Yeah. And if you're off the medication right now and you're still having constipation, it's probably not a holdover from the medication because that's usually something that goes away pretty quick. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it has gone away now. Good. The only good. thing that bothered me was I ate some steak. <laughs> oh, yeah. That'll stop you up. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of fiber. Plenty of fiber. And don't forget about lifestyle modifications, too, Bill. You know, sometimes changing what you eat can have a profound effect, and that includes, you know, decreasing sodium as well. So if you've got some of those things to work on, it might save you one of those medications and certainly some side effects. Okay, thank you so much, Doctor. All right. (laughs) Sure. Thanks for calling. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy Podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you live this morning, and uh, we're taking your call. So uh, give us a call this morning if you'd like for us to try to answer a question that you might have about something. A great question already about blood pressure medication. Certainly doesn't have to be about that. But any and all kinds of questions you might have or comments, you can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Linda, who is down on the coast. Good morning, Linda. Oh, are you there, Linda? Yeah. Uh, oh, there we are. Okay, welcome. Good morning. Go ahead. What's your What's your question for this morning? My question, Doctor Jenny, was if I can act at eighty years of age and right now I'm in the gym, so I'm trying to be healthy. All right, um, that is impressive. My, um, I, I find my myself sleeping well, but my hands fall asleep at night to the extent that they wake me up to shake them and do whatever it takes to wake them up again. And then I go right back to sleep. I just find that irritating, but interesting as to why it's happening. 
Yeah, is that is it any one part of your hand, Linda, or is it all of your hand that's falling asleep? It's all of my hand. Okay, and it's both hands? Both hands, yeah. yeah. It depends on what side I'm sleeping on. Sure, okay. And uh, do you have any pain with that during the day, or any, or is it just at night? It's just at night. Okay. Yeah, so there are a couple of things that this could be. So this is a common thing. A lot of people have this when they sleep. Usually this is a compression around one or, or multiple of the nerves going to the hands or arms. And some people it's their whole arm. Uh, usually it doesn't cause any problems long term. Somebody would ask, well, why is this happening now? I had you know no problems, and all of a sudden, where these nerves travel, they travel close to all kinds of different structures. And sometimes you can have bony outgrowths of time, over time uh, where they go through, like particularly around the wrist. And since you're having problems only in your hands, and it's both sides of the body, there's two possible locations that I would be concerned about where it might be happening. One is in the wrist itself. And these get really close to the wrist bones. You know, our wrist has a lot of mobility, and that's a lot of movement. But those wrist bones, over time, they can have little bony outgrowths called osteophytes. And those can press on the nerve, sometimes entrap the nerve. The median nerve that goes through the wrist is a common one. That's carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, but it can happen in any of those nerves. What's probably happening is during when you sleep a certain way, uh, you're compressing those nerves to the hand. And then once they're in a sort of a neutral position uh, and not being compressed, they, you know, you get sensation back. Uh, uh-huh. Usually it's not a problem long term. You can have, if it's severe enough, you can start to, and that's one of the, the reasons I ask about function. If you notice that during the day that you're having problems with, you know, your grip strength or you're dropping things that you pick up, that probably needs to be looked at either by a hand surgeon or a neurologist. They can do some further testing to see if there's any damage to those. One other location that you have to be careful about is the neck. So you can have the same kind of things happen in the neck uh, with disc or other little bony outgrowths that press on the nerves coming out of the spinal cord that innervate your arms and your and your fingers. So that's the other place that I would say, you know, if you're having problems, particularly if you're having neck pain or back pain, if you're not, it's probably just at the wrist uh, bilaterally. Uh, but if it's an easy thing to do, first off, is to get a wrist splint. And you can get these over the counter at a pharmacy. And it just keeps, it's a soft wrist splint. And you probably have seen people wearing these. It just slips over your hand. And it, it, the neutral position for the hand is if you were reaching out and picking up a bottle of water. So if you can mimic that, that, um, um, that, that position that your hand's in when you do that, that's going to place the least amount of pressure on the nerves. And for a lot of people, they just wear those at night. You get used to it fairly quickly, and you don't get your hand all kinked up to the point where you're, you're having those problems with the nerves. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. That's, that's very easy, easy, easy prescription, and I will follow that. Thank all you. right, Linda. All right. Thank, thank you for calling. Have a great day. You appreciate it. Bye-bye. Linda is a great example. At the gym, I think she said, and she's still calling. So you can call from anywhere, your car, everywhere. Do it safely, but you can call. This is Southern Remedy. You can call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. All right, we're going to go to Rebecca. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. Thank you for calling. What's going on with you this morning? 
I'm 79 years old, and I had the same problem that other man had. I just took a stool softener, which really helped me out a lot, and I don't think it interferes with anything, and I got it from over-the-counter. Also, my question is, I take Xeralto, uh-huh. and it says on the on the prescription that you cannot stop immediately. Well, I went to my to get my prescription refilled and they said the first one for january is five hundred dollars i do work but i can't afford that i pay over five hundred dollars a month for all my insurance that i get for medicine and doctors and medicare and and etna and all that i don't understand why i hope to goodness we get somebody in washington that can help me personally because my income tax went up and now my medicine's going up, and it's frustrating, and I don't know what to do because I can't stop immediately. I call my doctor's office to see if they had any samples, and they didn't. So I don't know what to do about it. I can't afford $500 for this month. Yeah, that is that is really high. You're right. Um, so uh, Xarelto is one of those medications, a blood thinner, for those of you who don't know what that is. So it, um, it's it's used for a number of things. Um but it is a I higher. Have AFib. I have yeah. AFib. So that's basically preventing a, a clot to form in within the heart and then going downstream and and uh, help to helping to prevent something like a stroke. Right. Um, right. So it's very needed. Um, but this is one of those cases where you have to look at okay, what's the total risk? Uh, you know, do you need to be on all those medications? Certainly, if you have atrial fibrillation, you probably. It sounds like you do need that. Um, there are alternatives that are cheaper. They're a little bit more uh, of a hassle to deal with. The cheapest one is Coumadin, although Coumadin, uh, it's another type of blood thinner. You have to, it's, a, it's a pill that you take every day or every other day. Uh, it does have a lot of side effects of bleeding, some of the similar things uh, that Xarelto does. And it's a little bit harder to, you have to, you have to increase or decrease the dose based on a frequent lab testing. So it's more of a hassle and it does it carry. It is because I'm a vegetarian and I eat a lot of greens. There you so go. I can't yep. have coumadin. I can't right. have coumadin. Well, you can have it. You would just have to take a lot of it to overcome that. I've done that in some patients. I'm like, you know, I don't care how much you eat of your greens and everything as long as you uh, you know, we can take a ton of, of Coumadin and just to overcome that. But um, here's what I would do, Diane. You're right. We have big problems uh, with access to different things that patients have. We have the technology we have to diagnose a lot of things. We have a lot of medications, but it it's prohibitive to do that. Uh, even in people who have insurance, as you just outlined, those some of the, the problems that we have uh, with access to those kinds of things for a lot of different reasons. It's not a simple fix to any of that. Um, But a a first place that I would start would be your pharmacist. Um, And I would just say, hey, what kind of alternatives do I have? Go back to your physician and just say, hey, what's my options here? Um, I I do think, you know, you've reached out to the physician's office and looked for samples and that kind of thing. Unfortunately, samples are getting less and less at physician's offices. There's not as many of those as we used to have, say, 20 or 30 years ago. But there are programs by pharmaceutical companies for discounts. Um, You have to to reach out to the company sometimes. So if you do that, I can't remember who makes Sorelto, but 
um, you might want to do that and just see if, because a lot of times they'll have like a coupon that you can present to your pharmacy and get a lot of the money back or a lot of the money off. Uh, but I think, you know, there may be some alternatives for you. I don't know. I mean, it depends on, there's a risk score called a CHADS 2 score uh, that they can they can sort of figure out it, what's the risk of you taking that. In some patients, there may even be alternatives like aspirin. So, uh, Diane, that's that's what I would do. But I would talk to your pharmacist first to see if there's any other alternatives. Okay. And the problem with trying to see your doctor when you call your doctor's office and you want to see your doctor is three, four months before you get to see him. Yeah, <laughs> that's a problem, too. You're right. You're yes, exactly right about that. it certainly is. Uh, pharmacists, uh, I love our pharmacists on our team, uh, both in the clinic and in the hospitals. And uh, fortunately, I had a great training experience and early career experience with pharmacists. Um, Dr. Debbie Miner, who used to be on Southern Remedy, you know, trained with her and worked with her, still work with her. Uh, she is great and has taught me a lot about the use, how useful and how integral really pharmacists can have. Uh, but they're a lot. A lot of times, they're a lot more accessible than us physicians. So I give them credit for that. So I check okay. with them first, and they may be able to give you some alternatives. Okay, thank you. All right, Bye-bye. Diane. Good luck to you. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, taking your calls and questions. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Uh, 50-year anniversary for MPB. I know everybody's been listening to those. Somebody asked me later uh, that uh, ran into me. They said, hey, I heard your uh, your spot on uh, wishing MPB the 50th anniversary. Why didn't you recommend a colonoscopy for NPB? But a uh, little doctor humor there. Uh, but we are glad that they are here. I'm glad that I'm here and uh, able to take your calls this morning. We're going to go back down to the coast to Diane in Ocean Springs. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, yes, I've been diagnosed with uh, the red eye, and the doctor said it was very congested, but I only noticed it yesterday. So he gave me an antibiotic prescription I'm going to get filled. But can you give me some information about it as far as how long it's going to be contagious? Yeah. What causes it? Yeah, so... 
So pink eye is call is a common thing. Uh, you know, it's and it can be an infectious. Most of the time, it's an infectious cause. A red eye, if it's in, and usually that's redness in the white part of our eyes. Uh, a, a red eye can be caused by a number of things: injury, irritation, allergic reactions, uh, or infections. But the things that most physicians will call pink eye is actually a viral or bacterial conjunctivitis. The conjunctiva is the, the covering on the front part of the eye. And um, viral infections are very common. They're the most common cause of that. Uh, actually, uh, it is difficult to, to – uh, a lot of times it's difficult to tell the difference between a virus causing it and a bacteria cause it, unless it's really, really bad bacteria, and it's pretty obvious then. Uh, the antibiotic drops will only work for the bacterial cause. So the viral cause, you're pretty much stuck with that. There's a lot of adenoviruses and enteroviruses that can cause that. And they sort of have to run their course just the same way they would if you had a cold. Um, there's not really anything you can do. A lot of times those bacterial drops will help just lubricate the eye while you're getting over that. It is contagious. Most of the time it's through respiratory secretion. So if even though you may just have a redness in the eye, if your nose runs and then you uh, touch your nose and those secretions and touch something else, anybody who comes into contact with that can get it. And sometimes sneezing can do that too. Uh, usually it's about a five to seven day incubation period with these kinds of things. So, uh, that's why a lot of people will say, you know, you need to not have fever. Certainly if you have fever, not everybody has fever with, with pink eye, uh, and about five days later, uh, most of the time that's going to correlate to the symptoms that you're having. So if your eye clears up, um, it's, it's, you know, you can probably go back to work or, uh, be around other people, but it's just like you can think of it exactly like somebody having a cold. Um, so that's that's sort of going to be the same time period that you can be around people or not be around people. Okay, yeah, I do. Um, as a matter of fact, got a cold probably the day before. There you go. Yeah, so I, I would say this is probably viral. I probably would still use those drops because it may help a little bit with the lubrication, but that's probably a viral episode. Bacteria just usually are localized and they're not going to cause some of those other cold symptoms. Okay. Now I'm going to get some cold medicine. Is there anything I need to look out for as far as going against my antibiotic or does it matter? No, shouldn't matter about that. So there are some other conditions like high blood pressure and diabetes that sometimes you have to watch out for those. Uh, And just a regular antihistamine should be fine. Something like coracidin would be fine. Uh, those things will drive some of those secretions and help with uh, with some of the symptoms. Okay, sounds good. Thank All you right, very much. thank you, Diane. Good luck to you okay. with that. That's a it could be irritating, just nasty with her something in your eye like that. All right, we're going to go to make sure I think V in uh, Waynesboro. Did I get the right one? All right, V, are you there? Oops, I might not have V. All right, we're going to go to Wendy while I figure that out. <laughs> Wendy in Long Beach. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. I just wanted to make a comment. You were talking about um, to the person with uh, blood thinners about possibly getting coupons and things to get a reduction in the price. You can also go directly to the pharmaceutical company that makes that drug. Right. And you get the forms from them, and you fill them out. You take them to your doctor. Then your doctor sends them in, and then they send the medication to your doctor. 
Right. And they give you a 90-day supply. And yep. it's usually free. It doesn't cost anything. And, if you qualify. Yeah, and that's sort of what I was getting at. I didn't have all the specifics there, but, but basically you can go online for most of those and yes, apply for that. Absolutely. And uh, and it, or a lot of physicians already, like we in our office, we have those forms for different things, and we can just download them. Again, that's why yes. a pharmacist can point you in the right direction. Um, but nearly every uh, pharmaceutical company has a program like that, and they have it for multiple medications, uh, mm-hmm. So, they Wendy, do, you're exactly right. I mean, that's a good way to do that. It, it's probable that, you know, a lot of physicians' offices just aren't familiar with that, unfortunately. But it's a great way sure. to, to get a break on those medications because they're not cheap. They are not yep. cheap at all. Any new medication. Right. You know, they're all expensive, yeah. outrageously expensive. Okay, well, that was my comment. All right, Wendy, thank you for sharing that. That is pertinent information, certainly for our previous caller, but also probably for a lot of people out there. So have a I good am, day. Thank you, you too. All Bye-bye. right. All right, we're going to try V from Wayne County. Good morning, V. Have we got you now? Yes. Can V, I think you're cutting in and out there a little bit. Um, are you possibly on speakerphone? Yes. Uh, is there any way to to uh, to to come off a of speakerphone? Can you hear better? Oh, perfect. There we go. What now? Now say that one more time. Yes. Would you speak about thyroid disorder, constipation, and other uh, symptoms? Yeah, so so uh, one of our previous callers was talking about constipation as a side effect of blood pressure medication. There are other things that can cause constipation. Sort of what we eat certainly dictates that a lot. So our bodies are sort of designed for more fiber and a lot of plants in our diet and fruits. A lot of things that you know harder to chew up. Uh, that's my that's what I tell my patients, particularly younger patients. Hey, if it's a fruit or a vegetable and you have to chew it more, it's probably got more fiber in it. Uh, but that helps to move things along appropriately so you don't get sort of the, the pipes clogged up. But there can be other conditions, and hypothyroidism is, is one. Your thyroid gland controls your metabolism, uh, and when it's not working appropriately, particularly when it's not producing enough thyroid hormone, uh, you can have constipation as one of the presenting side effects. So, uh, it, and it's a very common thing. Sometimes it's, it can happen about the same time as other medical conditions. Uh, as we get older, uh, it's a common thing to happen in older individuals for their thyroid to uh, not work appropriately. So that may be something to investigate. Usually I'll treat constipation with just some uh, either increase in fiber, whether that's what you eat or something that's over the counter um, that's going to sort of move things along a little bit. Some of those you can we used to think you could get used to it, and um, for most of the population, most all of those over-the-counter are going to work fine. Some of the prescription medications we use um, uh, are okay to use in most everybody. But if that's not working out, that's when I start to look for other things. And, and a TSH, which is a lab test, a blood test that te- uh, tests for, um, for thyroid functioning, is, is one of the first things I would think of. Thank you. All right. Thank you for calling. Sorry, 
Sorry about that um, uh, mix-up there, and my fingers are not working appropriately uh, this morning, but we're going to go to Lee next. Good morning, Lee. Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Thank you for calling. Thank you for your show. Look, I wanted to um, ask, first, there was a person that called in earlier this morning concerning blood pressure. I want you to explain to them what is the difference between calcium blockers and the channel blockers and these beta blockers. There's so many blood pressure medicines. Also, you heard over the radio and the television every day for a long time about Lipitor. Then they went to Viagra, advertising it. Now they have a medicine they advertise. Look like every other day it's called Farsiga. Let's uh-huh. know what first CD is. Yep. Uh, yeah, so let me take the first ones, uh, the first part of that question. So calcium channel blockers and beta blockers are two big groups of medication used to uh, treat high blood pressure. Uh, calcium channel block- blockers work at, at smooth muscle. So the lining of your blood vessels, the arteries, have muscle layers in there. And that helps you to, to uh, retain a blood pressure. You need blood. Blood pressure is a good thing. It's just when it gets really, really high, that's when we start to see, you know, some of the bad side effects of it. So uh, this blocks how those muscles use calcium, and it helps relax them. And when they relax more uh, in those blood vessels, uh, the muscle layer, that's when blood pressure comes down a good bit. So there's two big types of calcium channel blockers, but probably one of the most more common ones is amlodipine. Uh, things that end in peen, that like philodipine is another one. Um, um, uh, nifedipine is another one. So all of these are in that same class. There is another one called uh, diltiazem and verapamil, and that works a little bit differently, but those are calcium channel blockers as well. Beta blockers block the ability of the nervous system to uh, to tighten up those muscles and blood vessels. So, your nervous system does that for a reason. Uh, so, if you know if somebody's chasing you or somebody you you got to get a higher blood pressure to go somewhere, uh, that's when the nervous system sort of activates and helps you to maintain that blood pressure that you need. And they can also modulate that if you're not drinking as much, if you're dehydrated, they can help regulate that on the short term. So beta blockers block those receptors from the nerves that control blood pressure. And this is one of the reasons why you need multiple blood pressure medications that work in different ways is because if you just block one of those pathways, uh, another, you know, the system really needs to be blocked in two different pathways to really work optimally. So that's sort of a short description of those. A uh, lot of different reasons why you might choose one or the other. Uh, for instance, beta blockers, oftentimes if your heart rate's faster, one of the other effects of them is that they decrease heart rate. So that might be beneficial. If you've had a heart attack um, or you have heart disease, uh, a beta blocker might be beneficial, also beneficial in heart failure. Uh, so, you know, it just depends on the individual person about which one to, uh, 
to to choose. Farsiga is one of the new um, uh, diabetes medications, and it's also very a lot of research in looking at this in patients that have heart failure or cardiovascular disease, that it may have some uh, positive effects in them as well. It is expensive. It's not a frontline uh, medication just yet. So there's a couple of other medications like uh, metformin that have been used uh, to, to treat diabetes. Um, but it is one that we're looking at pretty closely because the some of the early evidence is that it's actually protective in people who have diabetes and also have heart failure. What about Genuvia? Yeah, Genuvia is another one. So Genuvia is a, a, you know, we've got about five different classes of diabetes medications, and all of those work a little bit differently. So, uh, it just, again, it depends on sort of the way that your body looks to your physician and the other things that you have going on. So for it's not one size fits all as far as the medications for diabetes or high blood pressure um, but it's it's sort of, you know, we sort of have a stepwise process of looking at that, and it depends on the other medical conditions that you have. All right, that's great there. Also, I'd like to say to all of those constipators out there, <laughs> my general practitioner, medicine, medical doctor, and my wellness check each year, they got on me and explained to me that you need to drink plenty of water. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. So you need a lot of water, particularly during our hotter months, uh, because that's one of the first things that can dehydrate you. One of the symptoms is constipation. So and the water will push you. Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, trying to answer your calls, giving you a little bit of uh, uh, direction sometimes. But uh, we would love to uh, answer all of these. We've got a couple of more people that are waiting this morning, so I'm going to try to just jump into these to see if we can get to everybody. Uh, Ann in Jackson. Good morning, Ann. Are you there? Yes, I am. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Uh, I listened earlier to a woman uh, commenting on the high price of prescriptions. And I am an insulin-dependent diabetic, and each year as my Medicare policy goes into the donut hole, I'm stunned by the cost of insulin because in my experience, a drug as old as insulin should 
logically by now be very cheap and out of any kind of uh, patent information. What on earth keeps insulin so high? Yeah, and Ann, I I share that frustrations because I have my patients in the same boat. Um, And the donut hole, you know, when you start having to pay for that, uh, certainly something that you're right. It just in in if you think about it, something that's been out for decades, uh, multiple decades, shouldn't be that that high. What some of the factors in that are are this, and it's not just for insulin, but it's for other medications. So even though their patents run out, they're picked up by other companies. So other companies pick that up and say, hey, we're going to manufacture insulin. We think we can do it cheaper. We can do it, you know, uh, they're trying to make a margin on, on that, even though they're picking up a generic medication. It still has to be manufactured by someone. And if there is uh, only one or two companies, there's not a whole lot of competition there. That could be one reason. It might be some reasons that have to do with the production methods for that. Uh, this has has happened, as I said, not just with insulin, but with a lot of medications. There are several blood pressure medications that were generic for a long time, and then for whatever reason they went up, and a lot of that was attributed to the different companies that were, had picked it up. Um, all that to say, it, it's very complex. It's not just getting the pat. You know, once the patent goes, once it goes off patent, that's not going to guarantee that that medication. Uh, price drops tremendously. Certainly companies, they they are on patent for a period of time to try to recoup all the, the research and development costs with that medication. But uh, again, there may be some limitations of different things. And incidentally, we deal with this from a hospital standpoint, too, with things like IV fluid. Uh, you know, there was a shortage of IV fluid Several I remember year, that. Yeah, several years ago because uh, it was made in Puerto Rico, and when Puerto Rico had a lot of uh, you know problems with natural disasters coming through, sort of cut that off. So this happens from time to time with other common medications, but um, it is complex. We need to fix a lot of this. It's not an easy fix. I know a lot of people you know, promise different things, and it's like, hey, I can fix this really easily. It's complicated. So uh, we need somebody with a lot of expertise and a lot of patience to sort it out and then say, okay, what are the things to get these medications down? Okay. All right, Ann. Let's go to Alice from Macomb. Good morning, Alice. Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Thank you for calling. The show that you got on today is just about everything I got. All right. We hit it right on the head, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. But what I call you for is see if would you uh, be able to have a show and more information about them. I'll say it the best I can, diverticulitis. You got it just right, Alice. Yeah, diverticulitis. Um, let me give you a couple of things about that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's certainly we can look into doing that on a, on a broader basis. So diverticulitis, your, your colon, which is the lower part of your intestines, uh, they help to sort of conserve water from the stuff that we eat that doesn't get digested. Um, uh, and they sort of help, you know, eliminate everything else. But they, uh, over time, as we get older, you can have little bitty dead-end streets in there. So they're little outpocketings. And when they fill up with different material, you can get infections in there. And that causes the diverticulitis. Now, some people confuse this with diverticulosis. Diverticulosis is just having those little dead-end pockets. 
that's what I got. I don't have diverticulitis. Right. So what happens, though, is if you have diverticulosis and that gets infected, then you got diverticulitis. Then you have to take things like antibiotics to get that because it's an actual infection in there that you have to get rid of. That's what they told me I had, but ain't nobody giving me nothing for it. Well, it's probably if they're not doing that, it's diverticulosis because you would get sick in a hurry if they didn't give you any treatment for diverticulitis. Oh, and with that big constipation, I got to fight hard on that because yeah. I got a big problem and, with that. And that's the biggest thing to treat uh, with something like that. And again, there's multiple medications. There's things like Miralax. Uh, that can help conserve water in the stool, things that move the stool quicker through there, uh, looking at other medications that might be interfering with that. But that may actually help some of those episodes of having, you know, the diverticulitis. And oh, with the constipation and the stomach problem, would I be able to take that middle mac- uh most people can that take fiber, that fiber stuff. Yeah, yeah there's stuff. there's almost no reason why you can't take fiber. So that's good, to, you know, to take that. So I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me on the show each week are healthcare professionals who add their expertise to the discussion. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.